Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, so you can turn and tap your way over to that. We'll uh, get there. But uh, as Mike said, my name is Mike Van Auken. Uh, my wife, my lovely wife Scarlett and I got to come on up yesterday morning around 11. And uh, we're excited to be here. We, uh, we love being in Vermont. We love coming and being with the, uh, the church here in, uh, in Burlington. Uh, we have, uh, over the last several years, been able to build what we feel are really great friendships with so many of you. Uh, and uh, most especially, of course, Mike and Christian. We get to be on the phone with them uh, pretty much every week for hours hours at a time, and uh, really built a, a great friendship over the time. We, we love it. We love these guys, and we love you guys. Um, the, uh, we do, we are part of the Boston Church of Christ, which is another church in our fellowship. Uh, it's a pretty large church, 2,300 members, give or take. Uh, Scott and I lead what we call a region. We use that phrase, it's just kind of rather than parish or whatever, district or whatever. It's just what we call our little kind of area. We have about 250 members there, and uh, um, they're they're doing. They don't even know I'm gone. They're doing fine. <laughs> they uh, they're all in good shape. But uh, we have two sons, uh, 23 and 20. Our oldest, uh, he graduated college last May. Uh, he did it in four years, which was very encouraging. The uh, our second one wants to do it in three, which is even better. <laughs> but uh, uh, but last May, uh, from May mid May to mid June last year, uh, our older son Ryan he graduated college. He uh, started his first job. He bought his first car and he got engaged to be married all inside of like 30 days right there. Uh, and so that was a big month for him. Uh, last time I was here, which was in October, uh, Scott was not able to make it because the uh, wedding shower for our uh, daughter-in-law-to-be at that point uh, was that same weekend. And then in uh, December 16th, Ryan and Sarah, they got married. And uh, so that was exciting. And then on January the 1st, our uh, younger son, Daniel, who's 20... Uh, he left for Scotland. He's doing a semester abroad right now in Edinburgh. And so the beginning and end of our Christmas holidays was uh, our kids leaving for adventures of which we have no part. And uh, it took me about 20 minutes to get used to that idea. Mama Bear, on the other hand, is taking some time to get used to that idea. But, uh, but anyhow, that's, uh, that's us. And, uh, and the kids, are out, they're all doing well. And Daniel will be back in May. And Ryan, he'll never be back. But, um, but he's... Uh, uh, but they, they, they live near, pretty close by. Uh, they're actually part of our, our little region there. And uh, even and they still come back to get to do their laundry. They're doing laundry at our house this afternoon while we're gone. That's, uh, that's happening. That's, that's the truth as I stand here. That's the Lord's truth. But, uh, but anyway, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And um, we've been, uh, in, we have coming up in July for, uh, across New England, New Jersey, and uh, New York churches. We have a conference coming up. We're calling it Thrive. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. It's July 20 to 22nd. If you haven't decided to go yet, I'd encourage you to go. Um, it's going to be tremendous. I can't wait. Um, but, uh, and so in uh, our region, at least, we're having a few sermons with the work in the word Thrive into it. And uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks a lot about humility. And so I topic, my title today is Thriving in Humility. And uh, this is a message that I, I did back home uh, two weeks ago. And uh, Scott, apparently it helped enough people when I asked Scott what I should do here. She said uh, to do this one again. So here we are. 
But uh, book of Philippians is a, is a cool book. Uh, of course, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and he wrote it to a church in Philippi. And uh, several things that are worth knowing. One is, he was in jail when he was writing this letter. This is, he was in prison, probably a Roman prison. He was chained. He was possibly chained directly to a guard. Uh, and despite the, uh, just the horribleness of that circumstance, uh, I'm not sure horribleness was a word before just a moment ago, but horribleness of that circumstance, um, this is an upbeat letter. This letter is full of joy. This is a cool letter. This is somebody who's got something to say and whose attitude is worth imitating. Um, so, And one of the things you figure out as you read the book of Philippians, this letter, is that Paul and the Philippians, they liked each other. These are friends. This isn't, he's not admonishing these guys. He's not frustrating these guys. These guys are friends. And uh, what you see, uh, what you figure out has happened is that the Philippians had a guy there in the church called, his name was Epaphroditus. We're going to see that name before we're done here. And he had, he had come from Philippi and, come in and he came with a bunch of stuff for Paul. And the, the group had put together probably some money, some food, things to sustain him while he's in jail. And so, uh, so he'd, he'd come there, and, uh, and this is kind of a thank you letter, is, is really a lot of what's going on in the letter to the Philippians from Paul. So, uh, so that's what we have going on. Uh, we're going to get into chapter 2 and, um, and see what we can't figure out. Let's say a prayer and, and go from there. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for taking such amazing care of us. And uh, you've given us so much life and breath and everything else, and you've given us your word. And uh, in that, God, we're confident you've given us your heart. Uh, you've given us your plan. You, you've given us assurance uh, that you're on our side. And, uh, boy, we're grateful for that. Uh, pray, God, that as we spend time in uh, this particular chapter today, that, uh, that we'll really see you clearly. And we'll be inspired by you. And because of that, we'll walk away not just knowing some more stuff about you and knowing more stuff about you, Jesus, but indeed we'll know you better and we'll know Jesus better and we'll become more like you uh, as we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, first thought here is in verses 1, comes out of verses 1 through 11, and that is humility imitates Jesus. Humility imitates Jesus. Let's start in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility imitates Jesus. He starts off here and he says, if you have any encouragement, any comfort, any fellowship, any joy at all from being united with Christ, you get the impression that he's going to put you on the hook and you're not going to be able to wriggle off at all. 
Uh, any comfort? Okay, I guess there was a good day there somewhere, right? And so, and you, and if you have that feeling, you're exactly right. That's exactly what Paul's doing. He's saying, making sure that we understand, hey, there's something going on in our lives that because of Jesus, that's worth having going on in our lives. And what's he call us to? He says, if that's true, then be like Jesus. Imitate him. That's what he's calling us to. He's just calling us to be like Jesus and to imitate. Imitation is awesome. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. I mean, pretty much everything we've learned at some point, somebody did around us. And we go, oh man, I, should, I would love to be able to do it like that. I would love to. Uh, this is the truth. I would love to connect with people the way my wife connects with people. My wife is amazing with people. And any of you have ever spoken with her, some of you have figured that out in the last 30 minutes. But my wife is amazing at connecting with people. And she's got people that she calls all the time, every day, some every day, some every week. But just like that, she's always talking to people. And I thought, I've got to become more like that. And so I'm trying. I'm really working hard. This year, it's a New Year's resolution that I am going to use the phone in a way that's like scarlet. (laughs) And that probably will always be something I'll have to work on, but I'm hopeful that next year it will not rise to the level of New Year's resolution. And so, uh, so, so now I've got 7.30 to 8.30 in the morning. That's kind of my time. And I can make some calls. And some of the guys I try to be in touch with, they're not quite at work yet. And, you know, I'll get them or I can text them or leave them a message or something. And I started to do that. And, uh, and it's been kind of fun, but it takes them by surprise because it's not been my habit for all these many years. And so I just, I, I just a week or two ago, uh, I called my friend Glenn, and Glenn and his family, they've been up here, you guys might know the Travis family, but I called Glenn, and, and you know, 7.30 in the morning, phone's ringing, and then he, he picked up and goes, you know, Hello? He just completely, unlike, who are you and what have you done with my preacher? I mean, he just is not used to hearing from me. But I'm hopeful that, you know, by Labor Day or something, he will no longer be surprised that I give him a call. I want to be like Scarlet. I want to be like Jesus. And Paul, in the end, he's not calling us to be religious. He wants us to be spiritual. He wants us to be like the Son of God. There are places to go and people to see and, you know, meetings to attend. That's all there. That was there in the first century too. But what he wants is for us to be like Jesus and to relate to God the Father and to relate to other disciples and to relate to the world around us the way Jesus did because the way Jesus did it was the right way to get it done. Amen? That's, that's, that's the heart we want to have. That's the lifestyle that we want to have in Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he declared what he was there for. He said that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That we're there for the benefit of somebody else. If we live our lives for our own benefit, if we live our lives trying to fulfill our own selves, if these are the things that mostly occupy and dominate our our mindset and our hearts, we will end up less happy than we otherwise would by a long stretch. And we will end up having had less impact on the world around us than we otherwise could. It's unimaginable. What can happen 
if we just decide we want to be like Jesus. You know, I, I don't know what it was like for Satan when he when they, they talk about Jesus, you know, being obedient even to death on a cross. And when that happened, I don't know, you hear preachers say, and you read in books sometimes, that Satan must have thought he won. Maybe he thought that. But I'm not sure he thought. They must have kind of known this was not going to finish it all off. That Jesus still hadn't sinned. That there was a resurrection coming. And that it was going to turn around. And that maybe that was a big day for Satan. But there were other days ahead. And you look at these verses 6 to 11, which is an incredible, uh, I think they think of it as a hymn from the first time, the early, early days. But, uh, but you see this descent into this is horrible, right? He's, Jesus is in the very nature of God. He's in heaven. He comes down, he makes himself a servant. He can, then not just a servant, but a human. He's frail. And then he humbles himself, and then obedient to death, and death on a cross. And then it starts coming back on up. And so God exalted him and gave him the name. And every knee should bow and then every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And it comes all the way back up. And there's something about that that just feels a lot like how life works sometimes. We've all had that experience where, oh my goodness, things are just dark right now. It's just not going the way I thought it was going to go. My expectations have not been met. You know, my friends have deserted me. Whatever, you know, things just aren't going the way I thought they would. And those are moments. Those are moments where we see for ourselves who we're going to be. Those are moments where we figure out, am I going to rely on God now? Those are moments when we figure out, am I going to obey God now? God already knows. But we've got to figure that out for ourselves. And I love sunshine and daffodils. And I love my days being filled with sunshine and daffodils. I just, I I like happy days. I like sunny skies. I like all that stuff. But you don't really see who you are in the midst of sunshine and daffodils. We see who we really are in the darker hours. And then as we return, we turn to God and hold on to God, the way Jesus did, right? He hung on that cross and prayed a prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. And then we get, God can lift us back on up. That's being spiritual. Being spiritual isn't just being, you know, showing up and being nice on the happy days. Being spiritual is we rely on and remain obedient to God even in those darker Days. That's what Jesus, what Paul's talking about right here in Philippians chapter 2. And you know, he says, every knee will bow. And it's hard to see that sometimes, you know that? You walk around this world, you read the newspaper or scan whatever website and you know, all those things. And you go, it sure doesn't look like every knee is confessing Jesus is Lord around here. It sure doesn't look like, I mean, I can read the sports pages and figure out that not every knee is bowing to Jesus around. What is going on? And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know who's who in here. And I, do we have teens? Are teens in here? Do we have teens in here? We do. There you go. Whoop, whoop in the back. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. But, uh, but it's the thing about being a teen. I said this to the, the teens. Uh, we have a slightly larger group than three in Metro where I come from. But, uh, but the crazy thing, or the, one of the many unique things about being a teenager is the idea of peer pressure. It's not just an idea. It's a reality in life, right? Oh, yeah. and, and I'll tell you what. The, the day is coming. 
The day is coming as you graduate and you go forward where the temptations multiply exponentially as far as how to mess up our own personal lives. However, people beating on you, telling you to do it, tends to go away. That's what's one of the cool things about, about moving from, from, teen, from being a teen into college or adulthood and what goes on beyond. Is the peer pressure goes away. There's all kinds of hard choices to make. But now I just want you to know if, if peer pressure is your, you know, one of the things you're fighting with and are bat- battling against, that tends to go away. You just got another year or two and that will be gone. You'll still have choices to make and temptations to face, but, uh, but the peer pressure fades. And what is awesome about this group is that you've got so many people in here whose memories are uncorroded by time, like mine are. <laughs> and you've got guys like Giovanni and Chris and Nicole and Emmy and so many others who have heard that it wasn't that long ago. And they can, they can help you walk on through that. And you can go and talk to them and go, what was it like? And, and you can pretty much count on them having the right memory of what it was like. It probably is true, whatever, because it wasn't that long ago. But, uh, but humility imitates Jesus. Humility fights for spirituality over religiosity. Amen. Our second point. Humility shines like stars. That's the next little section in here. Verses 12 through 18. It says this. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Humility shines like stars. Let's talk for just for a minute about this fear and trembling thing. Because that's not one of the happy verses. Like, work it out with fear and trembling. What are we talking about here? And this is Paul who wrote. This is Paul who spent a, made a career out of writing letters about grace. Okay, he's talking about Jesus who died because he loves us that much. I, I really don't think that he wants us to walk around scared all the time. That's not what he's talking about. And for sure, he's not wor- saying work uh, work for your salvation with gentlemen. Mean, that's for sure what he's not saying. I think he's basically saying is, hey, this is a big deal. This is a trinity we're talking about. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. Satan's on your back. You guys, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. It, it's not casual. Let's make sure we're paying attention to what we're doing. Let's make sure we're paying attention in our relationship with God. Let's make sure that, that, we're, that, we're, that we're going for it. Because if, if we're just kind of floating through, it probably won't work out that easily. But if we battle on through, we hang in there, it, it, it can get there. And what I really like is this part right here where it says, God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. God's there to help you out. Now, he's not there to do it for you. That's one thing I wish was a little different. It'd be nice if God was there to do it for me. 
But uh, but I had this I had this thing happen just three weeks ago. I have a uh, Scott and I we own uh, a Honda Pilot. It's an eight passenger Honda Pilot. It has uh, just two days ago it clicked over two hundred and twenty five thousand miles. Okay, and so I just I just keep changing the oil. You know, <laughs> sometimes I think I should just anoint it with oil and pray over it. But but any of that, it's just it's just this big old beast of a vehicle, eight passenger Honda Pilot. And three or four weeks ago, the power steering went out on this thing. Now, power steering's not even a thing anymore. Right? You don't make choices for that. But, but anyways, power steering went out, and so I'm wrestling this beast down the road. And it's just turning right and turning left without power steering in my Honda Pilot. That doesn't go that well. So I pulled it into the mechanic, right, and, you know, $705 later, I had power steering again. So, amen, whatever. The, uh, still cheaper than buying a new Honda Pilot. But I thought, you know what? That's a little bit like how God is. When I'm going down down the road, my car, if I go, hmm, I sure would like to turn right, my car doesn't turn right. I've got to do something about it. I've got to turn it to the right. But the power steering sure makes it a whole lot easier to go where I want to go. I think God's like that. You know, you, 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 He won't make you go to the right. He won't make you go to the left. He won't make you stay on the straight and narrow. But, he'll, but when, you want to, when it's time for you to make, to do the right thing, God's there to help you get it done a little bit easier. That's how His Spirit works in us. Our part's pretty simple, you know. Have a good, have a good attitude and hold out the word of life. That's really it. Have a good attitude and help people know God. You know, the, uh, the pastor's there, verse 14, uh, do everything without complaining and arguing. I mean, I raised two sons doing this almost every single week as a family devotional, all right? Let me just, that in uh, Ephesians 4, 29, you know, let nothing come out of your mouth except what benefits those who listen, you know. No, but, uh, but I figured out that it's not just young people who need this verse. Grown folks need this verse too, amen? You know, do everything without complaining or arguing. How, how are we doing with our spouse? How are we doing with our roommate? What are we saying about our job, about our teachers, about our class, about, you know, about our boss? How are we doing? You know, old folks need to do everything without grumbling and complaining just as much as all the young folks do. Amen? Yeah. And it just it makes all the difference in the world and it shows whether or not we're trusting God. It shows whether or not you know, we're really actually willing to put our faith into practice. And not just be showing up, but indeed being spiritual, not just religious. Amen. That's what it is. And, uh, and holding out the word of life. Helping people know God. Why do we do that? Well, the world needs Jesus. That's why we do that. Yeah. The world needs God. We, the world yeah. needs answers. Uh, it, it, it feels great to give. It is always better. I mean, it's always better to give than receive. It's always better. You, you walk away much happier. Uh, after a day when you've been outward focused and a day when you've been inward focused, regardless of what the circumstance is. The, uh, I'm so proud of Mike and Chris. They've done such a great job. And, and Mike, just this year, you know, uh, just this year, Nate got baptized. He met Nate because he was just kind of going along by his day and he was at the U-Haul and he was renting a truck or whatever he was doing. And he happened to, and he talked to the guy who was there and that was Nate. And Nate became a Christian a couple months ago. And then, uh, you know, he was also at some point out on campus and, you know, 
I think they're having a day where the, the club was on a table or something. But the, the deal was, hey, I'm, I'm out here trying to let people know in a real specific way. And he, and he met, uh, met Seth, who's going to get baptized today. This is holding out the word of life. This is an example worth following. Are you with me right there? As we go through our day, there's a, to stay aware of the opportunities that we have. And from time to time, to take some time and go, hey, I'm going to go and make some opportunities to hold out the word word of life. That's how Jesus lived his life. And that's what we're striving to do right there. You know, because I one time took, took hold of the word of life, it was almost exactly 29 years ago today, March the 5th, 1989, I became a Christian. And uh, up to that point, I had, I don't know, it's hard to say if I had anything going for me or not. I, I graduated college. I had an MBA. I had a, I had a job. I had my own company. Um, I had I had a, I had a girlfriend. I had I had all those things, and at the same time, I had no real hope. I, I didn't really know where I was going. I didn't really know why I was going there. The um, I, uh, I at that point I was 28, 29 years old, and uh, and I thought you know I'll get married someday, and I'm pretty sure that'll go well. But I was also so I was dead certain I didn't want to have kids. I was totally certain. I was like, that's just a dice roll. I mean, anything can happen. It's just, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can be a good parent, a bad parent, just like, whatever, you got no chance here. And, uh, and it is a dice roll, but nonetheless, with Jesus, it's possible. And I love kids. Even then, I loved kids, and now I know I love kids, but, uh, but, but I became a Christian. Someone invited, actually invited my girlfriend to church and then she invited me to church and I didn't want to go but I went and it becomes a long and uh, uh, twisted tale but it didn't take long the first time I came to church was on February the 12th, and uh, on March the 5th, I got baptized. I mean, I just, uh, that, that happened. And, uh, and all of the blessings that have come in my life since that time are all because I took hold of the word of life. None of that, none of the things that have happened uh, have happened because of me. They've happened in spite of me. They've happened because God has, God's grace has allowed it to happen. And so my kids have become Christians, and my one son has maybe gotten married to a disciple. And I used to pray, I prayed so hard, that he would marry somebody who loved God more than she loved him. Amen. And it happened. And it's, uh, it's such an awesome, awesome thing for us. But uh, those pictures came out a little funky. It looks like we all got badly sunburned or something. <laughs> We'll just keep it going. But, uh, so, amen. Go back to where we started right there. But, but, but uh, humility shines like stars, in large part because it's so rare. But uh, humility shines like stars. Last thought, humility builds great friendships. At the very end of the chapter here, verses 19 to 30, and, uh, and it says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that my that, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 
But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, the guy I mentioned earlier. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, not on, not, on, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So that's Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. But, uh, but what's going on? Remember, Paul's in jail. He's in prison. A lot of guys who are in prison worry about how they're going to get along. This was not a three squares a day kind of jail. This was a Roman jail in the first century. But what's he worried about? He's like, man, how can I help out those Philippians? What do those Philippians say? You know what? Timothy, they, they could use Timothy. I've got to get Timothy over there. Epaphroditus, you know what? He's my fellow soldier, my fellow worker, my friend, whatever, all those things he described. I'm going to send Epaphroditus back. He, they, they, they've been worried about Epaphroditus anyway. Let me, let me get that back there. These guys are friends because they are looking out for one another. That's what it is. Humility builds great friendships. Humility is worried about how are you doing over how am I doing. What do you need over what do I need? And that's the kind of the relationships that we're meant to have in Jesus. That's the kind of relationships that we're meant to have in the body. That's what it's supposed to be like. And so the question becomes, how's that going for you? How are we doing building relationships like that? And remember, the only way to can really um, evaluate that is to look at ourselves. It's not to go, well, let's see, how my needs getting met? No, that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying, hmm, let's see, how can I meet some needs? Hmm, let's see, what does that guy need? What does that sister need? What can I do for him? What can I do for her? Well, you know, and how do I build these people up? Relationships like that, they don't come cheap. They don't come easy. I wish they did. I mean, it would be so awesome if they did. But they don't. They come because we give of ourselves. They happen because we invest ourselves. That's how we get those kind of relationships. When, we, when you have a relationship where you know what he needs. You know what she needs. When you have a relationship where, where you're, you're then going to do, what can I do to encourage him? What can I do to encourage her to help meet whatever those needs are? That's what we're looking for. That's what we're striving for. And really, after almost 30 years at this, and many of you have, done, have been doing the same, we, we know, we know it's true, that we're feel, feel much more fulfilled if we can only do one of those things. Meet some needs or have our needs met. We walk away much more fulfilled meeting needs. Yeah. The good news is we don't typically have to make that choice, but we can always choose to meet someone else's needs. We can always choose to encourage somebody else. But we also need to have just the kind of vulnerability that expresses our needs. I mean, it, it's, I, I really hate and despise those strong words, but they're close to right. Like to, to express, I need this. I, I need help here. I need encouragement here. Those are hard things to do. Yeah. It's hard. 
It's hard to, to walk up and go, I need to get resolved because you hurt my feelings. People do that to me all the time, I'm sorry to say. But I know that when that's happening, they are having a much more difficult conversation than I am. Because it's hard to be vulnerable like that. It's hard. I was a year, when, that's a couple of years ago now, um, I don't typically like having birthday parties for myself, and when we do have birthday parties in our family, everybody sort of gathers around and shares good things about the person who's having a birthday, and it's very nice, but I don't enjoy it. And so, <laughs> but it was a few years ago, I said, babe, and it was, it was, my, it was my birthday, which, but I said, I need a birthday party this year. I, 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 I need you to get everybody together. I, I just need to hear some of that. Because I, I, this was a need. And you've got to have relationships where you can be real like that. You can be vulnerable like that. And you don't find those relationships until you just decide to invest in those relationships. I wish we could just find them. It takes consistency, right? It takes the kind of phone calling that Scarlett does. Maybe not quite what Scarlett does. That's like over the top. But the, uh, but the kind of, you know, just really deciding. I'm going to invest. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to hang in there. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to have that kind of relationship. I'm going to invest until I get there. But uh, that's, that's the idea today. Humility. Humility. We thrive in humility. We totally thrive in humility. And humility is something that takes vulnerability. It's scary, for sure it's true. But, uh, but and humility is not something we see modeled in the world around us all that often. That's for sure true. But humility is, I think, at the very core of who Jesus was. I think humility is at the very core of what it is to be spiritual rather than religious. I think humility is at the very core of what it's meant to be a disciple. And I think that it's humility that imitates Jesus, that shines like stars, and that builds great friendships. Those are some thoughts. I hope they've helped you out a little bit today. Thank you very, very much for the opportunity.